Are you living your life by faith in the covenant-keeping creator? You're listening to a sermon series titled Romans, preached at Shoreline Church. For more audio or theological content, please visit thisisshoreline.com. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 4. I'm going to get some new batteries there. Romans chapter 4, and we're going to be uh, starting in verse 13. And we're going to be reading through uh, the end of chapter 4. So let's look at Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and we'll pray together. So Father, we thank you this morning for your grace. We thank you for the opportunity, the privilege it is to open the sacred scriptures, the word. And Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you are the word made flesh. We thank you that we approach, as we said this morning and saying, we approach as unworthy servants your throne of grace now with confidence. And we ask that you would be our teacher, Holy Spirit. You would equip us this morning that you would encourage us. Lord, we thank you for the visible example of these believers who have stood up and that want to be a, a recognized member of Shoreline. And Lord, we ask as we continue to contend and advance the gospel in this community to the ends of the earth, that today would just be another example of us sitting under your word, submitting our lives to you, and trusting you as we are commissioned out from this gathering to, to walk by faith and not by sight. So Lord, we trust you today. We thank you for your word. We, Lord, acknowledge we're not the only expression of the church here in this community. So, Lord, we pray that this morning pulpits around this region would be filled with the word of God, with boldness, Lord, that you would uh, equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we thank you for this morning, for this opportunity, 
And Lord, we lean forward with a hearty amen, asking that you would teach us and instruct us this morning in your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, you know the name Hudson Taylor. He was the great Christian missionary, of course, to China and the founder of China Inland Mission. And he once wrote a letter to his wife when times were very tough. And he wrote these words to her. He said, we have 25 cents and all the promises of God. (laughs) Isn't that great? Uh, That's enough, isn't it? 25 cents and all the promises of God. Isn't that enough? Hmm. Well, maybe. Uh, Are the promises of God, yes and amen in Christ, are they and a quarter enough for you? I want to start right out this morning with a deep dive question a very, very intrusive question for you to consider. Each and every person here in this gathering watching online, I want you to answer this question. If you're listening to this podcast in your car, on your commute, this is not a question for your neighbor, for your coworker, for your uncle, for your long lost apostate friend. This is for you. We'll put it on the screen. Are you living your life by faith in the covenant keeping creator? See, the trouble is not that God has not promised anything. In fact, in the scriptures, we have at least 7,500 unique promises recorded in the scriptures. So it's not that God hasn't promised. It's certainly not that he's failed in keeping his promises. We know that he's faithful to keep all of his promises. It's not that he just he's messed up and said and maybe over-promised, under-delivered like many of our parents who disappointed us and constantly failed. When we look at God's track record, his credit score, so to speak, He has been absolutely faithful and never failed to keep a promise. So the breakdown is not on his failure to make a promise or to keep a promise. The failure is on our end to appropriate the promises of God in our lives and to submit to him by faith. So this morning, we continue our study of Romans chapter 4. And today we're looking at these verses we just read. But Before we do, we want to quickly recap what we looked at last week, because if you missed last week, you missed a lot. So really quickly, last week we started in Romans 4.1, and we looked at where Paul was using Abraham as an illustration, as a story, which is very helpful in teaching. You use stories, you use illustrations to kind of drive home a point. And so he's using Abraham's life as an illustration to deeply prove or explain that the righteousness of God has been revealed from heaven and it is apart from works. And we receive this righteousness imputed to us, not by works, not by keeping the law, but simply by faith in Jesus Christ. And today in verse 13, we're going to see a little more. He's going to kind of zoom the lens in a little bit so we see a little bit more closely what Abraham's faith is actually look like. And so we're going to see three things in the text this morning. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. Verses 13 through 17, we're going to see the promise, the actual promise God made. We're going to see in verses 18 through 21, Abraham's response to those promises. And then part one of the outcome. Part two, really the full outcome is in chapter five. So spoiler alert, you guys need to read ahead to really see the full outcome of what faith in the Christian life looks like. So uh, today we're going to look at what faith in the believer looks like as we study the extent, the object, and the outcome of Abraham's faith. And what we're going to see today is this is really a template. This is a template for all believers in, uh, in the Lord who trust Christ for their justification. So with that as kind of an outline, 
let's begin by first looking at the promise. Look again with me at verse 13, and you'll see that word coming up. And if you missed it, we're singing that word a lot this morning. But verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So I can have your attention. As we learned last week, God had promised, and you want to jot these down, Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 specifically, that, that God promises to Abraham that I, well, his name was Abram at that point, but hey, Abram, I'm going to make you, who is a descendant of Shem, a descendant of Noah, a descendant of Adam, I'm going to make you, Abram, into a great nation. I'm going to bless you, and the people who bless you, I'm going to bless them. I'm going to curse those who mistreat you, and through your seed, singular, through, through the seed that's coming from you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So God promises Abram that the land that they're going to end up in, the land of Canaan, is going to belong to his descendants, but first they're going to have to kind of take a detour into Egypt under persecution and bondage, but eventually, uh, way after Abraham's time, they will uh, be able to occupy the land God was promising them. And so we learned last week in the beginning of chapter four that Abraham believed God, uh, Romans 4, 6, and God, uh, or Genesis 15, 6, God counted it to him, credited that faith to him as righteousness. So Abraham trusted God and it was through his faith that Abraham was declared righteous or declared justified. And we saw in Romans 4, verses 10 through 11, that this promise, the promise of God, did not come through circumcision. God had promised and Abraham had trusted long before Genesis chapter 17, where circumcision entered the scene, long before that occurred. So circumcision was not the, the point of the covenant. That was just kind of a seal or a sign, and it came after faith. And so starting here in verse 13, according to Paul, not only did the promise not come through circumcision, it also did not come through the law of Sinai which came centuries later with Moses. You guys follow his train of thought? It didn't come through circumcision and it didn't come through the law. So just pause that notion for a minute. Look on the screen. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Galatians chapter three, Paul says this. He says, this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years after Abraham does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise, the original promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So both in Romans and in Galatians, the point that Paul's making is the law comes after the initial promise, which is a unilateral covenant that God cut with Abraham. So before there was Mosaic law, there was Abrahamic covenant. And this covenant was an agreement to bless all the nations through Abraham's line. And ultimately, that's not just Israel. Paul proves in Galatians that its seed is singular. It's not all his offspring. It's one offspring, and that is Christ. God's promise was in place way before the Mosaic law was given. So neither keeping the law nor being circumcised have anything to do with ultimately trusting God's promise. So notice verse 14, what Paul goes on to say. He says, for if it is the adherence of the law. So just picture everyone huddling down and doing their best to keep the law, the adherence of the law. He says, if they're the ones who are to be the heirs, then what is faith? Faith is null and the promise is void. 
For the law, now he gives us a little insight on what is the law here for. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there's no transgression. You talk about like those sentences you just kind of skip over and they mean a lot. That's one of them. Verse 15 is a big verse. What Paul is saying here, and we don't have time to dive all into this, but Paul is saying in verse 15, the law condemns because the law reveals. We know this, and I've used this illustration. The law is like a mirror. In the morning this morning, most of you, hopefully, went in front of the mirror, and the mirror condemned because it revealed. It revealed to you that you got not enough sleep and you need a comb, right? So that the law has, the mirror has revealed to you your current state, but the law doesn't reach out and comb your hair. The law doesn't give you a shave. The law just says you're in trouble. So, so ultimately, uh, what Paul is saying is we don't know what obedience looks like unless we understand the law, which reveals what disobedience looks like. Uh, but keeping the law perfectly doesn't make one an heir. Keeping it perfectly doesn't now qualify you to be an heir. So notice verse 16. He says, that's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Now, I think we have a Boyce quote. James Montgomery Boyce says, if the promises made to Abraham were made only to Abraham and his immediate descendants, they might well be considered fulfilled even before the giving of the law. The law would simply inaugurate a new era in God's dealings with mankind. But the promises were not fulfilled in the period before the giving of the law, Paul argues. They were embodied in the coming Redeemer through whom the fullness of blessing was to come. And we know that Redeemer was Christ. Consequently, God's blessing of justification by grace through faith spans the ages and the law, whatever else one might think of it, must be seen to have served only an interim function. So if you look at verse 16, you see that word offspring really quick here. The word grace, just want to point out here, to be technical, he says the promise may rest on grace. So uh, let's just be technical here. We're saved not by faith. We're saved by God's grace. It's not your amazing faith that saved you. Amen. It's the grace of God. But we appropriate God's grace by faith. And he says here it's guaranteed. It's sure. And that's not because you had the great faith to hold on to his promises. It's because he has great grace to hold on to you. Uh, one person said, if the promise were of law, it would be unsure and uncertain because of man's weakness who's not able to perform it. So if it was up to you, if it was up to me, fail. Hashtag fail. But Paul says this is guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. So who is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul uh, tells us, let's read on. He says, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us, here's that word, all, father of us all. As it is written, verse 17, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So we, we don't want to minimize the law, but in the, the conversation Paul's having here, he's saying the law really isn't relevant. The law's kind of an interim aside here. The law is helpful. The law is good. The law is just. But ultimately, that's not what we're talking about. He's saying the one who shares the faith of Abraham is the relevant person. Whether they're Jew or Gentile, if they have the faith of Abraham, faith trusting in God, then you can call Abraham your father. We learned of, uh, last week that, and a few weeks ago 
that the Gentile was not permitted by the Jew to call Abraham our father. You had to say your father. And yet Paul is saying, no, that's, that's incorrect. All of us can call Abraham our father. We are a spiritual family by faith, not by birthright. And Paul points out God alone, verse 17, God alone is able to give life to something that is dead. God alone can call into existence things that do not exist. I love seeing scientists um, doing their DNA work in the lab. And they're like, oh, we, we were able to like, form a sheep from clone DNA. We're like God. I'm like, where'd you get the DNA? <laughs> where'd, you get, where'd you get the original cells there, buddy? And so ultimately, God alone can call into existence things that are not. God alone can take a barren womb like Sarai's and produce life from it. God alone can take a spiritually dead man or woman, and I'm pointing at you and me, and alone can make us alive. Ephesians 2.1 says that's what we were. We were, past tense, dead in trespasses and sins. And God in Christ has made us, past tense, he's made us alive. So God's promise did not come through the law. It was earlier than that. It came through faith. Now let's look at the second section and let's see what Abraham's response is. So look at verse 18. Uh, This is kind of the uphill battle he was fighting. So first in verse 18, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. Did he just come up with that on his own? He just dreamed that up. I'm going to be the father of many nations. I've, got, I've had good pizza, and so I'm just going to have this dream of being a father. No, God came to him. This was a promise. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So against hope, he believes in hope. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was, I love Paul, which was as good as dead, Okay, listen, if you're about 100 years old today watching this, we love you. I'm not going to use the phrase that he uses here, your body is as good as dead. Um, That's a little strong, but ultimately he says, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So he didn't weaken in faith. He's looking at the circumstances. I'm kind of up there in years. Sarai, we've tried, can't get pregnant. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he has promised. Now, we talked about it last week, but let's just recap the awesomeness of this story for a minute. One author does it well. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I'm just going to kind of recap reciting what they said. They said this, picture yourself 75 years old. Your wife is 65. Both of you are well past childbearing age, and you don't currently have any kids. Now, picture your name happens to be Exalted Father. And that probably feels a bit like a cruel joke. Now imagine how startled you are to hear God speak to you in your old age, promising to make you into a great nation, promising to give you offspring as innumerable as the dust on the earth. Now, years and years later, imagine how startled you would be when God changes your name from exalted father to Abraham, father of a multitude. And yet years after God's initial promise was spoken, you still have no children. You're fearing your inheritance is going to go to your chief servant, not from a child from your own body. And then they go on and they said, so one day God comes to Abraham in a vision, brings him outside, says, look towards heaven, number the stars, if you're able to number them, and said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. God, this is what the person says, God used the innumerable stars to show Abraham that 
even though he has no kids right now, he will someday have many descendants. That same feeling you have when you go out on a clear, dark night, you look up, you're overwhelmed by the number of stars. That's the same feeling Abraham would have had if he could look forward in time and see the number of his descendants. With no children, with no sign of having children, all Abraham had was the voice of God Almighty giving him a promise, and yet he believed God despite what his eyes could plainly see. Kind of puts it into perspective. Now, verse 19 reminds us that Abraham didn't weaken in his faith when he noticed his 100-year-old elderly body or when he thought about how old his wife was and the fact that their entire life they had never had children. And verse 20 explains, no unbelief made him waver, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, not glory in his faith, not glory in his circumstance. He gave glory to God no matter what it looked like. And he trusted that God was able to do what he had promised. Now there's a, a correlating verse you need to jot down. We'll look through it for a minute. But Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a lot of color that the Old Testament leaves a little bit black and white. And we know that the New Testament uh, is the old revealed, the old is the new concealed. And so Hebrews 11 gives us some color here. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Just imagine that God says, go to the land, I'll show you. And uh, that's it. Anything else, Lord? Pull up your map. Where do I go now? Right? And so he trusted God and he went. Verse nine says, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And I love this. The writer of Hebrews captures the ultimate faith that Abraham had. And he says, for he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. And then he wraps that up and says, therefore, from one man, and him is, I guess the writer of Hebrews picked up on Paul as well. Him as good as dead, <laughs> were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Wow. Verse 21 here in Romans 4 says, Abraham was fully convinced. Would you circle that phrase, fully convinced? The verb there means to fill completely. To fill completely. I like what some scholars say, which is Abraham let God be God. In other words, God is able to do what he promised, so let him be God. Let him do what he said he'd promise. Abraham ultimately trusted in the promise of God. And gang, a promise can only be kept if you have the power and the knowledge to keep it. I've said this before. I can promise my daughter, London, who's 14, I can promise her, hey, I am going to be home from this trip and I'm going to tuck you in, sweetie. I promise you, I'll be home in time to tuck you in and pray with you when I get home from the airport. But I don't have the foreknowledge to know that there's going to be a delay in my flight. I don't have foreknowledge. Nor do I have power to clear the weather and deliver on my promise. To, you know, I don't have the power or the foreknowledge to keep a promise that uh, I'm limited. I'm limited by my knowledge, limited by my power. So a promise is only as strong as the person's ability to have knowledge and power to keep their promises. And when we place our faith in God, the way Abraham did, we are letting God be God. We're believing 
that he is who he says he is, and we're trusting that he will keep his promises. I think the, the prosperity movement has cheapened faith, and it's made us afraid to say, trust the Lord, throw everything on him, believe him. And we're kind of like, well, I don't want to talk about faith too much. We get a little bit scared. But ultimately, we are to place our faith in a covenant-keeping God who's always been faithful to keep his promises. And it's not how awesome our faith is, it's how awesome our God is. So what was the outcome? What was the outcome of Abraham trusting in God's promise? Well, let's see the conclusion of this. And it's really, a, like I said, a partial conclusion because Romans 5 really fills this out. And I want you guys to go ahead and read ahead, which you should every week, but read ahead and read Romans 5, 1 through 5, and get a glimpse this week of what we really have as those who trust Christ. Uh, but notice first verse 22. Paul says that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, Genesis 15, 6. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. Okay, so there's times in the Old Testament where we go, well, that's David, that's Israel, that's uh, Mephibosheth, but that's not me, right? That, that's for them. Um, this is one of those where he's saying, no, this is for you. Th this is for us. Uh, so he says in verse 24, that was not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, and then as an aside, he says, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So church, this wasn't just for Abraham. No, his example is a template for all believers. Isn't that great news? Righteousness will be counted to all who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. So when we talk about saving faith, talk about I am saved by faith, saving faith we mean what Paul refers to here in verse 25. Notice verse 25. We trust in both Christ's work on the cross. He says, delivered up for our trespasses. That's his work on the cross. But we also trust in his victory over sin and death, where he says he was raised for our justification. We trust in his work on the cross, his death, and we trust in his resurrection to bring power to save. I like what David Gusick says. He says, there are many false faiths that can never save. And only faith in what Jesus accomplished on the cross and through the empty tomb can save us. So then he points these things out. Faith in the historical events of the life of Jesus will not save. Is that you? Have you just placed your faith in the historical events? He says faith in the beauty of Jesus' life will not save. Well, Jesus is a wonderful teacher. He's a wonderful person. He's a beautiful man. Well, that's not enough to save. He says, faith in the accuracy or goodness of Jesus' teaching will not save. Faith in the deity of Jesus and his Lord, in his lordship alone will not save. Only faith in what the real Jesus did for us on the cross will save. It's not just checking the boxes saying, well, yeah, I mentally assent that there's a man named Jesus of Nazareth who lived and died, and sure, he died. And yeah, for my sin, okay. It's not just a mental check. It's placing our faith in his finished work. You see, the Old Testament in no way contradicts salvation by grace through faith. In fact, when we realize that the gospel is ultimately the fulfillment of the Old Testament, of the faith that Abraham had when God promised to bless him and make him the father of many nations, when we realize that, then we realize that from the very beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, it's all um, consistent and it's all about the gospel. Abraham's faith 
in all of chapter four is a template for believers. And so that's what, when we kind of walk away from this text this morning, from really last week and this week, all of chapter four, um, we wouldn't have had time, but it, it really makes sense to study all of chapter four in one sitting. When we walk away from Romans chapter four, we come away with some really great application. And last week, we talked through some of that, the importance of justification by faith, the importance of knowing that our righteousness has been imputed to us and we don't earn it or deserve it. But today I want to look, as we close and look at application, I want to look at three important aspects of faith uh, for us from Romans chapter four. So if you're taking note, I'd love to apply this in three ways, okay? So number one, when we talk about faith, faith stands firm immovably fixed upon a greater object. Thomas Watson said, faith, quote, takes a man off himself. That's what faith is. It's taking you off of yourself to give the honor and the attention to Christ. So we don't, listen, we don't have faith in our faith. We, we don't need greater faith. Remember Jesus said, even the faith of a mustard seed so you're bringing that to a potluck. Hey, I didn't bring much, but I have a mustard seed, right? You're, you're that guy. You show up to a, a I, we went to a potluck recently and we brought water. That was it. So that was our great contribution. And that's kind of like us with our faith. We don't need greater faith. We need to put our faith into someone greater than ourselves. Do you guys see the difference? It's not our great faith. It's the object of our faith who is great. And so the emphasis is never, I need to exert great faith, and that's the difference. No, we place our faith, even feeble faith, in a great object. So there's different things you can place your faith in. I have, I have actually people I know who place their faith in a flat earth. So they, they believe in a flat earth, and they're trying to come up with the theory that the earth is flat. Um, please don't at me, okay? Flat earth is not something to place your faith in, Okay. People put their faith in some silly things. They'll put their faith in their finances. They'll put their faith in their spouse or in a spiritual leader or in a job or a home or a car or some experience or even a vacation. And that's where their faith is and that's where their hope is in. And then what happens is we're disappointed because those things are ultimately not greater than us. And so they fail. The object fails because it's not greater than us. So when we put our trust in the God of the promise, we are doing this. We're steadfastly relying upon not an inanimate object, but upon a faithful creator who's always proven true to his word. I like what John Calvin said. He said, faith is not a distant view, but a warm embrace of Christ. If you want to know what is faith, it's a warm embrace of Christ. It means standing firm as we embrace Christ and we rest in his finished work. And we acknowledge, Lord, you've always been faithful. And, and it is so sweet to trust in you. Jesus, Jesus, how I, and we could fill that in more accurately. We sang it earlier, how I don't trust you, how I have failed you in my faith over and over, and yet how you've proven yourself to be faithful over and over. And so we need to put our faith holding firm in an immovable object. Secondly, faith stands focused, not just firm, but focused, unwavering even though circumstances distract us. I love that Abraham, can we just like be real? I love that Abraham is an example of great faith in Romans and in Hebrews. And yet it's like, guys, do you remember the story of Abraham? Did he not completely go off script and pursue Hagar? And, and so you see that, that's real. You, that's the reality of that. And yet 
the scriptures affirm to us that faith that Abraham had was to steadfastly rely upon the Lord, even though there's natural evidence to the contrary. So think about it. He had a lot of natural, physical reasons to doubt God's promise that from his own body he would have a son. That in, but what the scripture is referring to is that initial promise. Abraham initially said, yes, I trust that that can happen. From my old body, from Sarai's barren womb, we're going to have a child. And yet, as time went on, years and decades go by, when's this going to happen? He ultimately began to waver. But in his initial faith, he trusted God. You see, circumstances are going to provide case study after case study in why you and I should not trust God. We're going to hear that voice in our head. Have you really thought about this? Why would God bother to come through? I know the word says that, but did God really say, can you confirm that that's actually in the Bible? Well, I know it's in black and white, but maybe there's some authorship, you know, question there. Are we, are we really sure that God's faithful? Maybe he'll be different this time. But see, faith stands focused, unwavering, even though circumstances distract us. We have a great example of this in the New Testament. We have Peter, who Jesus uh, is walking on water toward them. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. All right, come on. But the scripture says, Peter steps out, begins to walk, sees the wind and the waves, and begins to sink and drown. And it's not any different with us. We lose heart, we lose faith when we fix our eyes on the wrong object. So if we look at the circumstances, we look at ourself, we're going to see typhoon. When we look to Christ, we see the God of the impossible. Now, I love the hymn, Standing on the Promises, in 1886. We've been singing this in the church ever since. Standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. So listen, this is not where you presume on God. This is not standing on the presumption of God, where you go, I'm going to do this. Well, if God hasn't promised it, that's not faith, that's presumption. If God's promised it, then we trust it. And like Abraham, you and I need to keep our eyes focused, not on the barren womb, but on the God of the promise. So faith stands firm. Faith stands focused. Number three, faith stands forward, looking to the future hope. Verse 18 says, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, when God said, so shall your offspring be. And we learn in Galatians 3 that that offspring singular was Christ. He says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, to your offspring who is Christ. You see, church, Jesus was the promised seed who came through the line of not only Abraham, but also consistently through the line of Eve. Jesus crushed Satan's head even as Satan bruised his heel at the cross. And Abraham didn't look back at the decades of barrenness and time after time after time that he and Sarah had probably attempted to get pregnant. No, he looked ahead in hope against hope at the great innumerable sea of descendants with one in particular who would come to bless all the nations through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And this is fascinating that Jesus actually says in John 8, 56, Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So he looked ahead and he saw the day that his, his offspring, his seed, 
uh, Jesus Christ would be enthroned. And so when we say we're walking by faith, not by sight, that means we're acting in such a way that we actively pursue the promises of God. Again, this is not just a mental checklist. Yeah, God said it. Okay, we're good. We'll have a great Sunday. Where are we going to lunch? This is where we, by faith, throw ourselves onto what God has already said. So I like what Spurgeon says. He says, as you read them over, one after the other, you say to yourself, this is my checkbook. Does anyone else have a checkbook nowadays? Anyone? Okay. So maybe this is outdated. Uh, this is my mint.com, you could say. I can take out the promises as I want them, sign them by faith, present them at the great bank of grace, and come away enriched with present help in time of need. That is the way to use God's promises. Blessed is he who can take the five barley loaves and fishes of promise and break them till his 5,000 necessities shall all be supplied. So when we say, I'm trusting God's promise, that doesn't mean I nod my head and affirm, yeah, they're true and right. Like, yeah, the sun is out today and it's gonna be a glorious beach day, but then you do nothing about it. No, it's affirming, no, that's true and let's go out and bask in the sun and enjoy the warmth and truth of it. So we began our study this morning with a quote from Hudson Taylor. And there's a funny story about him. When he was traveling to China, he was on a ship, of course, and as it was nearing a channel between uh, the uh, island of Sumatra and the Malay um, Peninsula, he actually heard on the ship a knock on his stateroom door. And so he opened the door, and there was the captain of the ship. And the captain said, Mr. Taylor, we have no wind. We are drifting toward an island uh, where the people are heathen, and we fear they're cannibals. And so Taylor said, okay, well, what can I do? Uh, I'm a missionary. I'm not a captain. And um, he said, well, I understand you believe in God, so I want you to pray for wind. And so Hudson Taylor said, all right, captain, I will pray for wind, but you need to set the sail. Uh, and the captain said, that's ridiculous. There's not even the slightest breeze, and the sailors will think I'm crazy. But he continued to insist. 45 minutes later, he finds the missionary on his knees and he says, the captain says, okay, you can stop praying. We've got way more wind than we know <laughs> what to do with. And so uh, I love what Augustine said. He says, faith is to believe on the word of God, what we do not see, and its reward is to see and enjoy what we believe. So child of Abraham, I implore you today to imitate your father. Trust God no matter what the world would say. Look to the provision the way Abraham did the provision of Messiah as you consecrate yourself and surrender to his salvific and his sanctifying work in your life. Trust him this morning to do what he said he's going to do. He's never failed you, and he still will be faithful to never fail you. Let's stand together, and what I want to do as we close and sing of what it means to walk by faith, I'm going to read some promises to you, and I'm going to close the sermon with the same question we began with, posed in a different way though. And this is the question, will you yield your life to the Lord? Will you trust in the creator who's faithful and true? So bow your heads with me. I just wanna read you some promises from the scripture. Church believer, he promises his presence. Hebrews 13, five, I will never leave you. He promises his protection. Genesis 15, one, I am your shield. He promises his power. Isaiah 41, 10. I will strengthen thee. And he promises his provision. I will help thee. He promises his leading. John 10, 4. The sheep follow him for they know his voice and he goes before them. 
He promises his rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He promises his cleansing. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He promises his goodness. Psalm 84, 11. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He promises his faithfulness. 1 Samuel 12, 22. The Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. He promises his guidance. Psalm 25, 9. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. He promises his wise plan. Romans 8, 28. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And believer. He promises no condemnation. Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This morning, will you yield your life to the Lord, trusting in the Creator who's faithful and true? Well, with the help of the Holy Spirit, yes and amen. Lord, we ask that today you would strengthen us as the disciples cried out, increase our faith. Lord, forgive us, we doubt. And you often would say, you have little faith. Lord, we acknowledge, that's me. I I am one of little faith. Help me to be like my father Abraham, who simply trusted you, no matter what the circumstances lied to him. You were faithful and true. And Lord, we thank you that our faith ultimately in Christ has counted us as righteousness. We're justified, made right before the Father. We thank you for that this morning. And we trust you, who have always been faithful to keep your promises. You'll be faithful to do that until your return. When you reign in glory. Lord, even until that day, help us to trust you. We love you and we thank you, Lord. And now we sing affirming the words that we walk by faith. We thank you, Lord, for being the God of the promise. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Shoreline Church meets every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. at the Port on Lena Road. You can get more content and more information by visiting thisisshoreline.com. If you have any questions or any prayer needs, please don't hesitate to email us at info at God bless you.